0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bargamilis and I'm the editor here at Televisions, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Um, I am stoked because, sorry in advance to the rest of the world, we are going to discuss a topic that is near and dear to my heart by way of something that we watched, so <laughs> if you are not... Ready for me to be like my literal worst self. Um just fast forward through this episode.
1: I don't think this is your worst self. As I said, I really love it when you're back on your bowl.
0: I mean, I don't think there's any Bible quotes to this one. So okay, that, that's that's true. a safety announcement that I can make.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what are we discussing today? This is our new British this is our new British movie series, yes?
0: Yes. We are we are trying, I think this is only like the second or third time we've done this. Uh We are trying to find a place to talk about recent British movies that are, like, not classics revisited. Do you know what I mean? So we're just calling it British movies as sort of a catch-all. And, like, we talked about Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris on one episode, which was just adorable. And this week we are going to talk about a movie that I suspect a lot of people don't know even came out, because I didn't until I got a press release about it going to streaming. And it is called The Lost King, and it stars uh, Sally Hawkins who was the lady in The Shape of Water, uh, who made out with the fish dude, <laughs> Harry Harry Lloyd from Game of Thrones, and Steve Coogan, who I always remember from Philomena, but he's been in like a bajillion things. And it is a dramatization of the story of how the remains of King Richard III were found under a parking lot in Leicester.
1: Um The thing about this, okay. So, first of all, I remember when they found the remains of Henry under, or uh, Richard, uh, Richard, under the uh, car park. I remember that in 2012. And I remember that it took a few years. I think it was 2014 or 2015 before they actually confirmed
0: that he was, that it was really him. It took a while, right? Like, I remember that. I mean, actually, the movie is very condensed. What actually takes the longest in, I, I, I should, say that this move, philippa langley is a real person most of this movie really happened i don't know if she had like hallucinations of king richard the or not you have to ask her
1: i, I but, doubt um, it
0: but uh so maybe i th- think it's pretty clear that harry lloyd is a much more of a looker than the real king richard sorry mm. sir but um where's i going with this i just lost my train of thought thinking about harry lloyd uh, it, anyway, but most of the story is real, but it's it's the movie's only like bless them an hour and forty minutes long, <laughs> so a lot of it is like the timeline is very condensed. But for me, it was most obvious at the beginning of the movie. It took eight years of research for her; to, like she spent eight years researching and and doing stuff with the Ricardians and all all manner of things to to start looking for Richard. And in the movie, it it basically makes it look like she goes to one meeting of the Richard the Third Society, and then like is struck by a vision in a parking lot on a trip to the place that you know Bosworth Field probably was. But so that part actually did take a lot longer. I'm yeah. sure DNA testing is not quick. I'm sure that was also extended. But again, I, they rightfully chose to. Air in the sake of brevity, so I'm fine with it. but yeah she spent something like somewhere close to a decade actually doing all the research you see her do in about 10 minutes here um I uh, I, I, I was not sure what to expect going into this movie I will
1: I will freely admit um I knew it was a dramatization and I knew that it was uh, that it was based on a real thing and based on a book that Langley herself wrote,
0: Uh, I think she wrote it with her husband. It's called um, oh shoot I think it's called The King's Grave The Search for Richard III.
1: Um, And it uh, basically the thing that uh, and I knew that Steve Coogan is actually the one who did the screenplay and that he cast himself this is the same thing he did with uh, Philomena. He he wrote the screenplay for that and also cast himself in it. Um, But uh, the thing that uh, the thing that struck me I think the most about this um, was that there was so little actual drama, in a way. Like the mm. only thing that there's no, there's no, ma- it, like it's such a gentle movie in a way it's basically this this lady goes kind of a little a, a, a little off the deep end in her obsession with Richard um she finds his remains in a parking lot she spends quite a long time railing at people to get her to dig up said parking lot and then the only real like drama of it is her versus the academics and how the academics kind of patronize her because she's a woman, because she doesn't have an actual degree in this, because she's an amateur um and that that her her theories behind Richard don't match the uh the the common wisdom. Like that was basically the entirety of 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 the actual conflict. Not that that's a bad thing, but I was just I I think I was expecting a bit I don't know, like more? Not that not that that's a bad thing. I like as I said this was a very gentle movie and I really liked it on a lot of levels because it was very easy to watch.
0: I mean, I think most of the most of the drama in it is internal, which is mm. why it doesn't feel like a lot happens in it. I think it's a really kind of nicely paralleled story about second chances both like in life and after death Mm. and uh i really liked it was primed to like it this is targeted like a laser at me who is an unapologetic yorkist and richard the third apologist so yeah
1: i actually want to ask a lot okay so first of all we all know that richard the third is propaganda like we know this shakespeare's Um,
0: richard the third yes which is actually very true I mean, a lot of the things we take as what you refer to as conventional wisdom about who Richard of York was is is, um, basically just stuff that history is always written by the people who win. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier for a Henry Tudor coming onto the throne of England to make his own claim more legitimate by delegitimizing the man and the family who came before him. Um, that is essentially what Shakespeare's Richard III is. It's a great play. It's one of my favorite plays. I love it. The now <laughs> is the winter of our discontent speech is beautiful. Uh, I love Richard and Anne and the whole like uh, see how my ring encompasseth thy finger. Yeah even so my breast encloseth my poor heart. Like I said I'm on my I'm on a b- right now. but mm. like it's very, very uh, agenda driven as a piece of art, which I mm. think you know Shakespeare worked for uh, patrons who who paid him to write things and a lot of his histories are you need to look at them in that light because they are often for an audience of one and just because they're so brilliant and have lasted for so long we tend to take, you know I, I make air quotes when I sh- say Shakespeare's histories because it's we assume that they're history because it's Shakespeare but he is not infallible. No, He had an agenda when he was writing and and a lot of the things that are taken as gospel because you saw it in Richard III Are probably not true. Hmm. So, um, I mean, I sort of always took that
1: as red. Um, I love Richard III. I've loved it ever since I saw the Ian McKellen version one of, in 95.
0: Oh, the one where he's a Nazi. Yes. Richard III is a great play for like people to do weird reinterpretations of because it works in so many different eras.
1: Um, for PBS Passport members, the version, the great performances version that is streaming right now. Was it a, the
0: Patrick Stewart one? Because I love that one.
1: No, it's the Deny Guerrero one from, um, oh, from yeah. Shakespeare in the Park and Edie's. It is fantastic and it really does actually i think the patrick stewart one i'm talking about is macbeth anyway so um but it really um it really digs into the whole propaganda uh aspect of it and And that there's nothing wrong with Richard whatsoever. And that it basically makes him be the one being propaganda that, look at me, I'm so terrible, I'm so disformed, how dare you challenge me when there's actually nothing wrong with him whatsoever. Um, And I I just, I do think that's a, I I think it's a fascinating read. It also really... Reconstitutes the play to make it much more female centric, like all of the women's roles are basically enhanced and all the men's roles are sort of reduced in the dramaturgy, which I think is also a really fascinating choice. But I'm getting off topic. Um, The reason that I wanted to the thing about Richard III is it's the one that made me realize that Shakespeare's plays are propaganda. Um, because it is so very obviously written to flatter Elizabeth, and it's one of the reasons why I always think of *The Crown* as very Shakespearean, because it's so very clearly written to flatter Elizabeth. The other one. <laughs> um, well, yeah. But what I, I guess, what I really want to know, because you know, it sort of drops you in with the Ricardians in at the pub, and they're defending him. And there's this whole thing where they almost sort of assume that you understand that there is this other view of Richard that's just out there. And I'm just like, <laughs> where did this come from? Like, not that I'm complaining. I'm just confused.
0: <laughs> um, I didn't hear a question in there. Um, Please okay, point no, me no, in a direction. Okay. Um,
1: where did the other view of Richard come from?
0: Uh, I don't, I don't know if you could pinpoint like a specific place, but a okay. lot of it is, a lot of it is just, um, well, I mean, some of the things that are sort of taken as red in terms of like Richard III did this thing, like make no sense. Mm. So, um, the, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start with this. Like the whole, um. So he killed, okay, let's just take a point. He kills George in the tower. Yes. He didn't do that? No, he did do that.
1: Okay, he did do that. He killed the princes in the tower. Did he actually do that?
0: Uh, no one knows. I tend to think he did not. Okay. Mostly for the same reason that the movie makes the argument for. Um, Richard is a third son. Mm-hmm. Um, Edward Fourth, his eldest brother, was king of England. And he had one, two... Three, five, at least four kids, two of whom were boys. He might have had five kids. I think I'm forgetting one of the little ones. But, um, and two of whom are boys who are the princes in the tower. Mm-hmm. Whose names are shockingly enough like Richard and Edward, but
1: and the other one, the other one that's important is Elizabeth because it's Elizabeth of York who ends up marrying who
0: marries Henry Tudor. Yes, she's the eldest daughter. Yeah, okay.
1: And 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 this is all actually portrayed if we if you watch the the
0: White Queen, I think it is the White Queen. The White Princess is Elizabeth of York. The White Queen is her mother, Elizabeth Woodville. Okay, thank you. Everybody in these stories literally has three names, which is why it's so hard. Like it's like there's three names for every person in like the story. And it's hard to keep track of them. Elizabeth Woodville married Edward the Fourth, eldest brother, son in splendor, comet in the sky, sign from God, guy. Um, he had like four or five kids. Two of them were the princess in the tower. One of them is Elizabeth of York. He had a second. He had a, his his first younger brother was named um, George, Duke of Clarence. Yeah, who had two kids. Uh, one was a boy and one was a girl. I think that the boy's name was also George. And the girl's name is Margaret. Okay. She goes on to become the Duchess of Burgundy. Um, Mar- George is kept in the tower and eventually killed by Henry VII. Third brother is Richard. He marries Anne Neville, who's the daughter of the Duke of Warwick, who is like crazy rich. Mm-hmm. Basically becomes Lord of the North, if you will. It's not really a title, but he was the Duke of Gloucester. Um, had one kid, the kid died. So... The argument the movie makes, and the one that I happen to agree with, is okay, Edward's two sons, first and second in line on the throne, in the tower, they die. Okay. Okay. He had several other kids. George had a son and a daughter. All of those kids lived.
1: Now, as I understand it, there's like there was some thing that was like there was a there was like a a, a statement in Parliament um that basically made edwards children are all illegitimate
0: well look at henry the eighth that's not uncommon <laughs> i feel <laughs> okay. like elizabeth T- elizabeth tudor was literally made illegitimate i think at three separate times in her life it's not really that odd
1: okay and that's actually why that part probably isn't part of Shakespeare's play because that's also we don't want to really talk about that
0: yeah i mean she was she was definitely delegitimate she was named a bastard when um Henry married Jane Seymour. Oh, right. And then I think again, at some other point later, and I'm pretty sure maybe it was Catherine Parr. I'm pretty sure it was Catherine Parr, actually, now that I'm thinking out loud, who had her and Mary added back into the line of succession.
1: That's so nice of her. So I just, okay. um, but we're getting away from the movie. The thing that I want to sort of ask is that, like, basically there is a level where this movie sort of takes it as read that you understand that there's other view of Richard exists.
0: I mean, I think a lot of it is just that it's very convenient. It's very convenient to have someone to hate. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Like, um, that I will smile and smile and be a villain. I Mm -hmm. mean, that's from a different play, but it's the same thing. Um, That it's very very easy, especially during a time of, you know, political and, and cultural upheaval, like, say, you know, the Wars of the Roses, that if you can give people a really easy narrative to follow that makes everything kind of like go a little easier. If we can all decide that Richard III was actually a murderer and a monster, it's a lot easier to accept the fact that this guy who has like the most tenuous claim to the throne because his claim is through his mother who is some relation to John of Gaunt, like is is the better choice. And I think that's where a lot of of the historical desire to cast Richard as just like the ultimate evil because mm. like the evil's been vanquished the Tudor era comes like everybody's happy etc cetera, etc cetera. it's
1: like the last good war in a way I could sort of see that um I think the thing that also struck me a lot about this is um that as I said the um the the main conflict the main outer conflict other than what's going on inside uh Langley's head with uh with Basically, it's, like, a Richard that she sees in a play, and then he basically plays Richard in her head, like, the whole time. And then she actually meets the actor at the very end. Um, I loved that part.
0: I that was that, just a nice little, like, little... Cir- cir- it brought it full circle for me in a way that really worked.
1: Um, note from the cast list, that's his... that that That's um, Henry Lloyd's actual daughter that he's holding in, in that scene. Um, I thought that was adorable. Um, but uh, the fact... Was it true? Because I started googling, and I saw that there were protests about this movie, and it was controversial to say that these guys were actually very much pushing her out of the way, and that they took credit for her discovery. and
0: i'm um is that, that one that one I can't tell you the answer to okay. because, um, while I was once upon a time in academia, my academic circles were very different and I don't really keep up with that kind of thing anymore. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Especially, I mean, I, I, I tend to default to like, of course they didn't want her in there. She's a woman and the male ranks of academia are, are you know, always very close ranked. But it also is, I think, probably because she was, a, you know, a lay person too. Like yeah. an am- She was an amateur archaeologist. She wasn't you know yeah. like in this wasn't her field of study.
1: Yeah, they basically uh, what I saw was that there was a that there were complaints from the people who are portrayed in this movie as we weren't nearly that rude to her. We were always so open and I sort of wonder to myself exactly how true that really is or if they just didn't realize how like rude they were to her also um and that because this since this is sort of taken from a book that she, that was written from her perspective.
0: That being said like I Sally
1: Hawkins is amazing in this movie. I
0: love her. She's so underrated. I loved the fish movie. I'm not going (laughs) to front.
1: (laughs) And I really love Mark Addy as the sort of historian who is sort of the quote unquote bad guy-ish. He's not quite really a bad guy. But he's he's the one who gets basically the doctorate for and all of the laurels and she doesn't is sort of how the movie portrays it. And the thing about Mark Addy is he's so jovial and he's such a lovable person. And he's always played like these very sort of love, like e- ever since he sort of became famous for, um, for, for full Monty, um, we always think of him in these lovable character roles, but it's a reminder that he actually has like a real like way that that jovialness can really hide like a, 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 a jerk face. <laughs> I also just love the cast. Yeah, the cast is great i i don't i i noticed uh i don't did you catch the jessica hardwick Because there is like a bookseller um and then there's like a couple of other ones where i was just like it's that guy and i couldn't tell you who that guy is but i know i've seen that guy like a hundred times <laughs> okay. um like i i uh, the one who plays john ashdown hill for example like i know who that guy is i know i've seen him in other things um and 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 uh I'm pretty sure both the kids are like sons of famous actors like the two the two kids who play her kids because they look familiar.
0: See this is just a very good example of how our our attentions were on different very different things. <laughs>
1: yeah, because you to you this is all like uh, no, I think that's fascinating though because like I I love the fact that like I'm you know when you watch British movies especially like modern British movies like this, you know, you uh, you see you know um you, you see like i i basically have a tendency to track actors and and who's in what now and and well and- i
0: mean i automatically love any movie that's automatic that's out here like just confirming all of my priors left and right so like yes. i said i'm not very i'm not very objective about this film i thought it was really cute and really like you know i think richard the third gets a bad rap and it's unfair
1: um so you you are 100 percent a, a ricardian and mm-hmm. that i did not even know that ricard that the concept of the ricardian existed until i watched
0: this movie i mean i mostly refer to myself as a yorkist but
1: yeah i know you do um, and that was why i was like ricardian i had not well, heard that
0: one i um i went to i went to the york-, york for the first time a few years ago i actually wish i'd stayed a couple of days instead of like the one that i spent there it's a beautiful city um it's 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 still a walled medieval city like it was in the olden days and you can go walk around the walls that are on the outside of the of what used to be the city. It's much bigger now, obviously, but the old city, you can still go walk around the walls and the cathedral there is beautiful. And I think like one of the largest Gothic cathedrals in Europe, maybe Um, it's huge and it's gorgeous. But when I was there, I, um, it was, I was there, I wasn't there too long after they confirmed that the body was Richard's and uh, they, even though he's buried at lesser cathedral, not at not at York Minster. Uh in Yorkminster. I stumbled upon this little thing that people had made. There was a little pile of white roses and a little card that said, you know, for King Richard the which I just I have a picture of it somewhere. I'll see if I can put it in the show notes. It was really cute.
1: Oh, I actually that was another thing I wanted to ask. Um that that uh the funeral that they show towards the end, um where they actually bury uh Richard, uh they intern him, I guess, in the cathedral. Did that really happen? Yeah. That's really awesome. Um, I, I, um, I don't know. Like, I just thought that was... A... That's
0: true. He has been added back into the line of Kings of England.
1: Well, they say that at the end of the movie, that basically after after he was... Uh, after he was... Uh, uh, Identified that that Langley's next, basically for her next trick, she basically lobbied the royal family until they gave in and put him back on the line of succession.
0: I read somewhere that she's currently like working on some sort of massive research about the princes in the tower. So I await whatever her next book will be.
1: That itself is also fascinating because you know, like that was basically one of my questions: is what happened to the princes in the tower? Because I've oh, always oh, sort of taken oh, it as. A lo-
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know, no one knows for sure, obviously, mm-hmm. and a lot of the contemporaneous sources were destroyed, of course, but um, there are sort of the prevailing kind of idea or at least idea if you if you watch what happens afterwards. I said that that uh Richard's sister or yes, Richard's sister, Margaret, and Margaret is. Uh, she becomes the Duchess of Normandy. I She does not... George's daughter, excuse me, whose daughter's also named Margaret. That daughter ah! becomes the Duchess of Salisbury, who gets killed by Henry VIII.
1: Why do they all have the same name? Like, that makes it so much harder. Like, there are other names in the world. Anyway, sorry.
0: Anyway, Margaret of York mm-hmm. goes on to become the Duchess of Burgundy. And that will be mm-hmm. important in a second. Because after, you know, when Henry VII takes the throne declares himself king, says that Richard is, you know, Richard's dead, says he killed the princes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there were actually two, well, there were a lot of rebellions during the early part of Henry VII's reign. And two of them were tied to uh, pretenders claiming to be the Richard, Duke of York, the younger, mm. um, grown up and and come home. And the first one, Oh, I'm struggling to remember what his actual name is. Uh, Is this Perkin Warbeck? No, Perkin Warbeck is the second one. There's one in the beginning. There's the first one that I can't remember. Was never really taken that seriously. Ended up, like, I think being thrown in the tower alongside George also gets killed later. Okay. Second one was a dude named Perkin Warbeck who said that he was Richard. Led a huge army. There was a whole, like, it was a very real threat that he might actually overthrow Henry Tudor. But it did not work out. So that it's, but both of those people claimed that they were the long lost prince in the tower. So there's a lot of, no one knows what happened to them, which is why that is possible. I mean, there's every, like, there's all, there's, there's theories that range from, there were two little kids in the tower of London, which does not have great like amenities. And they got sick and died. Like a lot of people who were held prisoner in the tower did, uh, there's theories that they escaped Made it to the continent, live quiet lives forever. There's theories that it's actually Margaret Beaufort who had them killed, because if if you look at it, who benefits the most from their deaths? It's not Richard. Mm. That does make sense, actually.
1: It's it's Henry the Seventh who would actually benefit from their death more than anybody
0: else. And his mother is his mother is fascinating. Her name uh, her name I just said it, but it's Margaret Beaufort, and she is, um, she's a really weird lady. Like, clearly, um, one of those kind of historical women that you always know wish they had been born a man. She is actually the one who wrote the whole, like, book of etiquette that... I think a lot of it is still used now, like book of how to do things like weddings and funerals and processions and all the stuff like Henry VIII used it all the time because she literally wrote the book on how this is supposed to be done. I think some part of it still survives now, but I, don't quote me on that. I'm not positive, but that's
1: amazing.
0: Yeah, she's a, she's she's pretty badass, if terrifying. <laughs>
1: Well, honestly, I don't think that's a bad thing either, like being a terrifying woman, um, especially in like this very, very, very
0: patriarchal period. I mean, she basically spent her whole life trying to get her son on the throne. That
1: makes sense. So she, uh, her being the one to poison a couple of children in order to get them out of the way makes total sense to me. I
0: mean, I don't know. I don't know how prevalent that theory is, but it's always made a lot of sense to me.
1: Um, and it also makes sense that they would, that Shakespeare would therefore want to openly pin the princes in the tower on Richard, because Elizabeth, you know, being the she was the great granddaughter of Han- no, Grand Henry the Eighth is her father, so gra- Henry the Seventh, Henry the Seventh
0: is her her grandfather
1: grandfather um you know he doesn't want to basically like leave that open he wants to make sure that 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 it's either her grand that her grandfather would have
0: been her great uncle
1: yeah so she wants but also like the evil great uncle um and yeah i i i can i can totally see that and i and it does actually make sense along with the propaganda um the propaganda aspect um I, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I had never truly like, even though I knew perfectly well that Richard III was.
0: Uh, I mean, it's also it's also very possible he did kill them. I don't think that he did. Yes, he killed his own brother, but he did that because his brother was convicted of treason.
1: Um. So you know, the thing is, is that I mean, I- he killed
0: him in kind of like a terrible way. But for those that don't know, he literally had him drowned in a in a barrel of wine.
1: I do that. I I do remember from Richard the third. I think that actually is in that part is true. Okay. Um, the thing that the thing is, is even though I've always known it's propaganda, I've never actually asked myself, what's the truth about, um, Richard the third until now. And I've, you know, one of the things that like, it never occurred to me that he might have been a great king or, or, I mean, obviously, he was very brave or foolhardy or suicidal at the end because he, like, literally threw himself in front of an army and let them kill him, like, 17 ways from Sunday. Um, Or I believe, actually, I think it says something like, what was, I think the movie says there's, like, 11 different, like, wounds on him or something or, like, a dozen? Yeah. Yeah, like,
0: that's, um. Like, I think part of his skull basically got cut off. Like, sheared off.
1: Ow! He was probably using that. Anyway, um, like I just I, I I think that this is this movie is really useful in that not only does it sort of like challenge if you've never thought about Richard III as propaganda, it challenges you to do that. But it also then sort of challenges you to take the next step in that, which I had never done, which is to ask yourself, who was Richard III, if not that person?
0: Well, part of the problem is that so few like contemporaneous sources that were not that, the contemporaneous sources that are actually from Richard's lifetime versus uh, Tudor histories that come later, which obviously have a very like invested interest in mm-hmm. maintaining the party line. Um, I mean it's it's interesting that that literally every. Later, describe like none of the contemporaneous descriptions call him ugly or go into detail about his like giant hunchback, which he doesn't have.
1: Well, the 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 thing about the um the the spine is that he has scoliosis. Yeah,
0: he has scoliosis,
1: which is different than being a hunchback. That's not that's not the hunch thing. That's that that that's the S thing. Yeah, it's
0: your spine. I'm making a I'm making a gesture like you guys can see. It. I actually have mild scoliosis. The, oh. Um, it just means that your spine is a little curved.
1: Okay. But it doesn't. It certainly doesn't make you limp or. Have- I mean, it
0: could. It could have been um, depending on how like pronounced it was. Like it, you certainly could have maybe like leaned a little bit more one way or something it didn't make you have like a giant growth on your back or whatever
1: and it didn't make your arm all twisted up the way that like one of the things i remember about the uh, one of the things that really really always stayed with me about the 95 movie is the prosthetic that they do on ian mckellen's arm to show it all like sort of twisted and 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 deformed um and that's the thing that i've always remembered about it and obviously that's just not true it's actually my favorite. It's actually one of my favorite parts about the great performances um, um, version is that basically um, she pulls back the the sleeve and she says, uh, look at my arm, look at my arm, look at my arm. And there's literally nothing wrong with it. And everybody's like, there's something wrong with your arm. And she, and she's like, no, no, look at it. Look at it. You just can't look. And I always thought I thought that was such a great take on it. So, yeah, like I, I'm just I'm totally stumping for you guys to go watch that version i also think you should watch this movie this the lost king because it's really
0: cute yeah it really is It's clearly like no going into it that it is made by people who are very much like Plantagenet propagandists (laughs) because it has a very like clear perspective on that but it's a good movie yes it is very it's very sweet and and it's honestly like even outside of the richard stuff it's really the Philippa's arc, where she she has a she really identifies with Richard because she has a chronic illness and people treat her poorly because of that, and she really takes to heart the fact that we as a society so often connect physical limitations or physical deformity with evil, and that's what kind of propels her into her Richard obsession, because of course. Richard III was an evil man. He was ugly and had a hunchback and your outsides match your insides, right? Um, I do think that's
1: a, a really good point. I also the the thing about Sally Hoggins's uh performance that also really, really struck me, um, is that is in the early going when when she says that uh I I I, I sympathize with Richard because he doesn't like himself because he's ugly. And everybody gets all like super uncomfortable because here you are saying the thing you're not supposed to say in public. But it was just like, there was just something about the way that like she delivered that, that like really sort of, I don't know, it grounded the movie for me. And this is this is where this comes from and that we've all felt this way. And that instead of embracing it, we all reject it and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a perfectly good looking person. And instead she took it as, well, maybe you can be ugly and a good person. <laughs>
0: Um, uh, maybe he wasn't even ugly. Let's not even forget this. Like... Well, no,
1: that, that's the other thing is um, one of the in, in my in my in my attempts and failure to Google the answers to these questions that I've been asking you um is that I actually found like several pictures of him and some of them I really looked at them for the first time and I was like,
0: I mean, no, his he's... hair is really unfortunate in the majority of. <laughs> yes, his but they
1: all, all their hair is unfortunate in this time.
0: I know. I love Anne Boleyn. So I love Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn so much. And like they have the like that high forehead thing was like a fashion choice and it. It's horrible.
1: Um and and honestly like you you can tell why these people wear hats, okay? It's not because hats are fashionable, it's because their hair is desperately desperately in
0: want of a wash.
1: <laughs> and that is very obvious in some of those portraits.
0: Yeah, his hair is just not great. It's not great. <laughs>
1: um but I um uh, why don't we make more movies like this? I think is my other question that I came away with. Um, um
0: I think I think we talked about this when we talked about Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris too. It's because in our current sort of entertainment market, there's not really a space for movies like this. There's either stuff that is you know loud blockbustery things, mm, Marvel, or or little art house movies. And this is a little art house movie, but it's not um it's not an Oscar bait art art house movie. Yeah, it's not that kind of Oscar. It's not that kind of art house movie. You know what I mean? It's not maestro.
1: Mm. Uh, Fingernails is another one that Apple is going to be pushing. Um, we pu- we uh, Saltburn with the Emer- with emerald uh, uh film. That's like we gonna... just have
0: gotten away as yeah. sort of an entertainment industry from. We they, these little movies used to exist all the time. I mean, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is one of them. I'm thinking of like. Oh gosh, uh, Philomena, like all Ooh. of these kind of mid-range British movies.
1: Philomena actually got Oscar nominations, didn't it? Or was it BAFTA? like I do I rem-
0: just always assume that Judi Dench should be nominated for whatever she's doing. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do believe she won awards for that. Um and I and you know, this one, you know, Sally Hawkins is, you know, I mean, she was in the 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 Fish the Fishman movie um so maybe there was sort actually of a-
0: i feel like at some point in the show it's called the shape of water it was up for best picture it's weird but great even <laughs> yes. though i do also refer to it as the fish movie
1: um well i mean seriously if you have a if you have a movie where your leading actress makes out with a fish it becomes the fish kind of,
0: man it becomes the fish man movie
1: <laughs> um i have to do say i i i i i i kid because i love with the fishman movie um same the uh the shape of water was proof that a genre pick can totally win an oscar best picture and i will never ever ever wasn't
0: that guillermo del toro though like i feel Mm -hmm. like people make an exception for him now
1: they do but honestly like it really did it did my it it did my little nerdy heart good
0: but I also feel like this is a rare movie that's good and actually like kind of educational. Like you don't have to take anything this movie is telling you as as gospel. You can believe what you need to believe about Richard the Third, but like he he did a lot of stuff that didn't suck. He wasn't a terrible he wasn't a terrible king.
1: Yeah, I, other things, like, th- there's a lot of, like, knowledge that's dropped in the middle of this movie that I, like, never knew. Like, Richard the Third champion the printing press? Uh,
0: I don't remember about, I don't remember if that's true or not, but that feels like it could be. But the thing about, uh, uh, he came up basically with the concept that you are innocent until proven guilty. He did a lot of um, really, like, progressive sort of, like, bail reforms and tax laws and things, like... It's not bad.
1: Are you telling me that he's like labor or, or 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 a liberal?
0: <laughs> I mean, I think for the for the time period, he was probably pretty progressive. Like he, um, he was very like anti-corruption and bribery, and tried to reform sort of legal systems so that that wasn't something that influenced them. Like I don't know how successful he was in that, but. Like, yeah, it's not like he's out here murdering everyone who disagrees with them. He's like, "How about bail reform?"
1: <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you're out here going, "How about bail reform?" it sort of does uh, contradict the concept that you might have killed a couple of kids to get in power. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but honestly, like, it, it's moments like that, though, where the, where the film really does sort of try to educate you on the things that you never knew about Richard. That I also really enjoyed um, because. Well, I, I guess, you know, here I am, a, a person who works at a, a at a local PBS station. <laughs> of <laughs> course, I like some education with my entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I don't. It's, it's just it's it's also because, like I said before, history is written by the people who win, mm. not just because the people who win decide what, like, the narrative of their victory is going to be. It also, especially in the medieval period. Um, dictated what got written down and what mm. got kept there's yeah. so many contemporary sources that are just gone because they were destroyed because they were you know repurposed for other things you know there's because just, they were
1: never they, written in at all because it was dangerous to
0: write them i mean we just don't have them yeah and that you know it's why the 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 ideas of this is how history happened are so sticky because we don't have other sources to contradict it, because they're gone. Right. It's like
1: you know. I'm um, just to you know turn it back. I mean, you like, know what?
0: Maybe there is a contemporary account somewhere that's like Richard wrote me a letter that said he killed those kids with his own hands, but like we don't know because it's gone.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, you know, one of the things. Um, I I joke that the crown is very Shakespearean because it's sort of trying to define the Elizabethan era in her favor. Um, now that she has passed. Um, by sort of rewriting history to flatter her but we do have other accounts that will always be there even if anybody even if if in the same way that we all watch Richard the third a lot of people go out and watch the crown and believe that that is the 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 reality of what happened with Elizabeth and Charles etc cetera, etc cetera. um there will always be that other side written down somewhere and filmed somewhere because we have so many, we have so many documents in this world now, um, in this age of information, etc. cetera. Um, whereas we really, we really only do have Shakespeare's Richard III and stuff written around that time that agrees with it to tell us what to do, to tell us what to think about people.
0: Also... And I I will never pass up the opportunity to dump on Henry the Eighth, but a lot of that is also his fault. Um, where is most writing held in the Middle Ages? Who's doing most of the writing? S- monks, scribes, religious houses. Henry the Eighth closed the monasteries, like tore the monasteries down. Like how much was lost when he did that? Annie's face right now. I feel like I rocked her world. You you
1: you yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I've always jokingly thought of, you know, Henry VIII uh, basically went and created his own religion so he could get divorced,
0: Um, you know. He also got really rich off of it.
1: But it never occurred to me that in destroying the old religion, he also got to completely rewrite history. That's... damn.
0: I mean, and a lot of that (laughs) probably wasn't his intention, in the terms of like henry henry that henry the eighth like set down this is how i want things to be like remembered forever it's just he is the reason that a lot of those primary sources don't exist anymore
1: that's that like a nice side existed effect for him mm. or might uh, or might have existed against him that is yes you have 100 damn <laughs> okay uh...
0: I try. Sometimes I like to feel like that medieval literature degree a degree I got does something for me. <laughs> Next week, Lacey discusses the medieval religious vision, Julian <laughs> of Norwich, and Marjorie Kemp.
1: Oh my god, I don't even know what that is. My uh, mother is going to now write me an email when she gets to this part and go, you don't know what that is, and be very upset with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Julian of Norwich and Marjorie Kent were both women who had visions who wrote them down in books. Okay, um, Julian of Norwich was an anchoress which is a woman who lives in a walled-up cell. Yeah, look it up. All is well in all manner of things; she'll be well. Like, like without a door, not had a window. People put food in it. Oh, okay. She's an anchoress So, so a little bit like those cubicles in Barbie. I mean, kind of, <laughs> but it was for like religious devotion. It was so that she could like commune with God all the time. Yeah, hmm. funky okay.
1: people are weird.
0: She wrote a thing called the Revelations of Divine Love. It's very good. Sorry. I just I get so I get to talk about these things so frequently that I have to inflict them on all of you. (laughs) Anyway, uh The Lost King is currently streaming on AMC Plus and also I think Acorn TV. Acorn T V.
1: Um it is it is also uh it is basically one of those ones that you can get through like three or four of the niche sites, but those are the two that are advertising it the most heavily.
0: Indeed. And like I said, it's only like an hour and 45 minutes. It's such an easy watch. Mm-hmm. Um, although most things feel like an easy watch after the 14 episodes of Jewel in the Crown from a few weeks ago. But uh, check it out. It's good. It's cute. It's like the epitome of a British movie, sort of. And the kind we don't get enough of anymore, thanks to Marvel and Star Wars and all those other things. Anyway, Annie, now that we're done, tell the people where you live on the Internet. Uh, You
1: can find me at Annie Bundle basically everywhere. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. You can find I'm still I'm still at Annie Bundle on Instagram. But instead of finding things like links and stuff, it's all pictures of my very fuzzy cats and their very fuzzy tails. Uh, I am the associate editor here at Televisions and I also freelance around the web. So if you want to know what I wrote this week, basically just follow me. I don't know. Right now I'm doing uh, right now. I'm I'm kind of into blue sky, but that might change. Like, I don't know, by tomorrow. Who knows? Because. You know that it, it it it's a free world now, and we can go wherever we want. We are free of Twitter, or X, or whatever the heck it's called. Anyway,
0: I refuse to call it X, but I am Whee! Lacey MB on Twitter, and every other social media site that is like Twitter or lets you have handles because I like to be consistent. Um, if you have any thoughts about the medieval religious, religious vision, Julian of Norwich, Marjorie Kemp, or movies we should cover on our British movie series. Uh, We're really looking for recommendations. So let us know at televisions at weta.org. The site and the pod are on social media at Tele underscore visions on Twitter and televisions blog, all one word on Facebook. If you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org and click on that donate button up top to help us keep making all those listicles and reviews and recaps and news updates that we put there every day. Um... Oh yeah, almost forgot. If you do that, you can get access to PBS Passport, which is full of all manner of early and exclusive binge opportunities. Most of the big fall shows are coming to Passport early. I know Vander Volk is, among other things. Oh no, all
1: of them are. Uh, basically, uh, Professor T, uh, Unforgotten Season 5, and uh, Vanderbalk season 3 are all coming as a batch, well, all episodes all which I guess would be 18 episodes because all three of them are
0: 6 episodes on September 3rd and members can watch yay, go do that um, on that note that is our show, thank you for listening send us your thoughts on what we should cover next time we do a movies episode and be nice to each other and take your allergy medicine, fall is approaching I just bought like a big thing of flow because I'm just already dreading the return of the ragweed and do something nice for a stranger it'll make you feel better thanks for listening